Welcome to My Favourite Beatles Song, the podcast where we celebrate the music of the Beatles with a distinguished guest. Today, my guest is Russ Moran, host of the Gamma Charge podcast and many others. Welcome, mm-hmm. Russ. Hey, how are you, Tim? Very good. And how are you? I'm doing well. You run quite a few podcasts, don't you? Too many. <laughs> Too <laughs> how many, many are we on now? Yeah. Well, one of them's coming to an end, so I, I think we're at four now. Four, four. Pretty good. Yeah, the one coming to an end is Tomes of Evil, which is the comic book supervillain podcast. As you mentioned, I do Gamma Charge, which is a Hulk podcast. I do Predator and Prey, which is a monthly mm. Predator podcast. Trapped mm. in a World the Howard the Duck podcast. Yeah, I think that's it. Excellent. I always ask my guests two questions. The first is, where would you rate your fandom of the Beatles between one to 10? Well, you see, if you had asked me this last year, Tim, uh, I probably would have said a two. Ooh. Um, Might have been the lowest uh, you've ever gotten. And I still might be the lowest. I'm going to give myself a conservative five. I didn't grow up with the Beatles uh my dad was born in 68 so the Beatles kind of weren't in his periphery he was a lot of what was birthed out of the Beatles like a lots of uh, Kiss ACDC Aerosmith and then of course by the time he was a teenager glam metal was a big thing my uh, fiance and her dad are huge Beatles fans and I finally broke down. I was like, okay, I need to give them a fair shake because I like some Beatles songs, but I've never really done like a deep dive. And I, they're, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're more of a hard rock metal kind of listener. Yeah, I am. Yeah. But, and you know, growing up a teenager, I was, I don't want to say I was a gatekeeper, but I was kind of like, <laughs> I like the hard stuff and nothing else. But like mm. now that I'm older, I can get an appreciation for all types of music. And right. um, also this uh, song, very influential on hard rock and heavy metal. So, yeah. yeah. In terms of then any interaction with either the Beatles or seeing them live or any members of the Beatles live, have you ever been there? Well, my fiance saw Paul McCartney at a music festival years ago my only like tangential way is i actually heard the song we're talking about today performed live but not by any of the surviving beatles it was by (laughs) rob zombie (laughs) fantastic (laughs) when i get to the bottom i go back to the top of the slide where i stop So your song choice is Helter Skelter. It was recorded during the sessions for their, well, it's a self-titled album, but everyone knows it as the White Album. It's actually officially called The Beatles. That album was released in the UK on the 22nd of November, 1968, and in the US on the 25th of November. 
did very well, got to number one in both countries. In the United Kingdom, it stayed there for nine weeks. In the US, had advance orders for 1.9 million copies and was number one again for nine weeks. The most successful double album of all time until it was eclipsed by the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack in 1977. <laughs> it's officially accredited to Lennon McCartney, although we know it's largely a Paul McCartney composition. So those are the facts. So tell us why choose this song? Well, when I was in high school, uh, I had a teacher who loved the Beatles and um, he let me borrow the uh, the compilations. I can't I'm trying to remember what they're called. There was like two two disc sets. One of them was in red and one of them was in blue. Yeah, they're just um, called the red just... and blue albums these days. Oh, yeah. OK. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Again, this was at the period where I was like really into i was in the hard stuff and nothing else and i was going through each track and i was like okay 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 and i heard helter skelter and i was like hey this sounds like my cup of tea on the official releases helter skelter isn't on there so i wonder if you got either oh a compilation from a friend maybe who put it in there because the blue album which is the latter part of their career it underrepresents the White Album, and it's a bit of a controversial point with fans for some reason. There are very few White Album songs on there. Well, perhaps I'm just misremembering. I remember it was around that time that I first yeah. heard that song. Right. And what was your first reaction then? Because it, it's like nothing else they recorded. No, it's very raw. And of yeah. course, it's uh, pedal to the metal fast and pretty mm. heavy. And he just, you know, McCartney gives an absolutely amazing vocal performance on that song, in my opinion. I always like Paul's voice the most when he gets into that, like, deep, raw, not guttural, but, um, like, very powerful range. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I don't know if you've heard any of the outtakes, have you? On one of them, he has quite a, a big echo on his voice, actually, which seems to kind of spur him on. Helder Skelter, take 17. Brian Gibson, the technical engineer, said the version on the album was out of control. They were completely out of their heads <laughs> that night. But as usual, a blind eye was turned to what the Beatles did in the studio. Everyone knew what substances they were taking, but they were really a law unto themselves in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> it wow. sounds like that, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, a few things that jumped out to me about this song was obviously like I had always heard that, you know, there was the joke that Ringo wasn't a good drummer. And I think this song really destroys like the facade that Ringo is a bad drummer because he I mean, he really puts it into gear on this song. I mean, he got blisters on his fingers famously. But the other thing is, is actually like because the mistake around this song is actually something that came later in real life, which is the Charlie Manson stuff. Hmm. and it's kind of it's intertwined with the song in a weird way so i that was that was always hovering around the lore of the song it's always going to be mentioned in the same breath isn't it uh, yeah. as that as that incident but we'll, we'll come to that a bit later but yeah there's um 
interestingly, the first version that they recorded, so they recorded it on two separate occasions. On July the 18th was the first version. It's a very slow, dirty yeah. Yeah, version. I like that one actually quite a bit. It's It's got a groove to it. It's still pretty heavy, but it mm-hmm. doesn't have the the intensity of the the one we know. But I still actually really like that slow version. Do you, don't you want me to love you? John on bass, that kind of heartbeat bass that sounded so mm-hmm. sinister on the original. That ran for a very long time, actually. And you can get on the anthology, there's a, a version of it. And in the white album box set, there's a 12-minute version of that, that take two. Apparently, it went on for 27 minutes on the night. <laughs> <laughs> imagine the vibe of that session. I can't imagine doing pretty much anything for 27 <laughs> minutes straight i don't have the attention span for that <laughs> no. you mentioned that heartbeat bass and i think yeah. that's awesome mm. I'm, I'm a big fan of the bass guitar in general i always have loved how bass sounds and especially uh, another black sabbath reference but what when you get guys like geezer butler or lemmy get mm. like distorting the bass and making it just sound so raw and powerful i think it would have been interesting if there was a version that had started slow and they built to the fast but i really think they wanted that kick in the teeth it was much later in september um september the 9th of that year so quite a few months later that they took it and made it the version we know and love according to mccartney he read uh, an interview with pete townsend Uh, And this is the McCartney quote. He said the Who had made some track that was the loudest, the most raucous rock and roll, the dirtiest thing they'd ever done. It made me think, right, got to do it. I like that kind of geeking up. And we decided to do the loudest, nastiest, sweatiest rock number we could. That was Helter Skelter. So he was inspired, obviously, by the competition. And there was a lot of competition in those days, wasn't there? Great bands, especially with the birth of heavy rock just happening around then, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're right on the cusp of um, Zeppelin and Sabbath, like within a year or two from this release. So, yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but to me, this song, Helter Skelter, doesn't sound like the metal that would come. It almost leapfrogs that to kind of more punky kind of hardcore sound would you agree i would agree you know a lot of people say that this is the first heavy metal song and i don't really agree because like we said there were other heavy things happening around that time but yeah this kind of has the intensity of punk rock this might be the first punk song but and also like 
to leapfrog that further which you combine punk and heavy metal and you get thrash metal but that wouldn't come until like the early 80s so this is really ahead of its time he could have had no reference point at that point i don't think i mean the who is one thing but and he said later that he went to listen to the who song and it was nothing nothing like as sort of raw as he expected (laughs) i think bands like iron butterfly were probably around and yeah, certainly in the air, wasn't it? That, mm, that kind yeah. of heaviness. That yeah. There's there's a great uh, analytic series by Alan W. Pollack online where he analyzes every Beatles song, and he says that um, crank this one up some late night when you're home alone and all the lights are off, and it's guaranteed to raise the hair on the back of your neck to scare <laughs> and unsettle you, and that absolutely has nothing to do with the knowledge you do or don't possess about the song's bizarre connection with Charles Manson. He goes into a few things that make it sinister as he calls it Uh, and this may actually explain why it had that effect on charles manson but one of them is the intro the chromatic downward line that runs through the intro helps send a message from the very beginning that we're on a sort of descent into hell I don't think anybody could have put it any better (laughs) (laughs) and you know i never got like Hmm. Probably because I was exposed to the later stuff first. I never got the eeriness of the song. To me, it almost sounds playful. Like, okay. yes, it's it's breakneck and it's like, you know, really fast and hard. But like, I don't know, maybe it's the the lyrical choice of going down the slide. But like, it just yeah. it just sounds like a really playful song to me. I've heard that Americans don't use that, that phrase helter skelter. That's a British word. Is that something you were aware of at the time? No, definitely not. Literally, the only thing I knew about helter skelter was that Charles Manson had written it on the wall, mm. or his followers, or you know whatnot. But yeah, mm. we we don't really use that phrase. I, I'm sure we definitely don't now after he had commandeered it. But uh, uh, yeah. It's a specific type of slide that you get on fairgrounds in England. They're, they're like a tower and you have to literally climb up the middle of it and then you slide in a circle around it like a spiral. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, the lyrics I, are completely about that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We definitely have those here, but I don't think anybody calls them that. Got it. <laughs> it's a funny word, isn't it? It has this, I don't yeah. know about you, but for me, it has a sort of folk horror ring to yes, it. Yes, it definitely yeah. does. Yeah. Mm. I was just going to say that's probably adds to the sinisterness of it because helter skelter i mean it's kind of in the title isn't it hell (laughs) yes exactly it's perfect yeah yeah and that with that kind of blistering descending riff and then into that raucous sound i mean it already sets up the uh, as as alan pollock calls it neurotic unpleasantness of the song (laughs) i mean he he says that there's a lot of obsession compulsion in the lyrics like when i get to the bottom i go back to the top and that's very much reflecting the style of of slide that we're talking about the do you don't you will you won't you there's Mm -hmm. there's a barely concealed undercurrent of violence which he points to in don't let me break you which is quite sinister as well the lookout <laughs> you know it's all building towards something it's not comfortable especially for a, a mccartney song i think right yeah this is uh you know leaps and bounds away from hey jude <laughs> <laughs> which was but, in the same year yeah 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 the refrain when i get to the bottom i go back to the top that is something called 
contrary motion. The the melody is going up. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. When I stop and I turn and I go for a ride, till I get to the bottom and I see you again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the guitar is going down. So one's going mm. up, the other one's going down at the yeah. same time, which is a, a brilliant reflection of the lyric theme, isn't it? Of this slide that you keep going up and you keep coming down again. For sure. I love that. For sure. Mm. Yeah. Very intelligent but writing. It yeah. is. It is. I never appreciated the Beatles just as songwriters until, you know, fairly recently. I would say I had my big Beatles boom last year. So I'm pretty new as a, a big fan. And watching some of uh, Get Back and just seeing their songwriting process, and I was I was just I was blown away, blown away. Mm. The other thing that stands out to me is the background vocals. The best way I can put it is it adds a little bit of heaven to the hell. Oh, I yeah. love that. Yeah. George Martin had left the country for a holiday, so it was Chris Thomas who supervised the proceedings. I wonder if it might have gone in a different direction with, with George Martin there. Who knows? Mm. Apparently, during the session, George Harrison set fire to an ashtray uh, and, was, <laughs> and he ran around the studio with it above his head on fire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there was a, you know, you can imagine this sort of almost hellish kind of atmosphere going on. It, it doesn't definitely have that <laughs> feel sounds, about it. It sounds like <laughs> something wicked was coming their way. This story that relates to Manson, did you um, find that added to or helped you grasp the song in any way? I think after that initial like reveal, oh, this is the Helter Skelter song, I really kind of distanced the two ideas in my mind. Like, mm. um, and maybe that's me like trying not to give Manson like any credit or anything. It's just, it's a Beatles song to me. It's not a creepy manson thing in fact like the first time i think i heard that phrase was actually in an ozzy osbourne song about charlie manson okay. called bloodbath in paradise so i almost had more of a connection hearing the song for the first time with ozzy i don't know if you know the background he took the title helter skelter as the name for the race war and the apocalypse he believed was destined to happen when the Black Panthers would rise up and kill the White Piggies, another song on the White Album. I mean, he read a lot into the lyrics of the whole White Album, didn't he? And he had them paint that word, those two words, Helter Skelter, on the walls in blood during the murders. During the court trial, the Los Angeles District Attorney, Vincent Bugliosi, I think that's how you'd say it, he said to Manson, we both know you ordered those murders. Bugliosi came the reply, it's the Beatles, the music they're putting out. Why blame it on me? I didn't write the music. So wow. in the court case, he literally accused the Beatles of encouraging him to do that. Obviously, <laughs> he must be out of his mind. But, you know, we've seen this happen with 
depraved people throughout history latching on to pop culture. I mean, what I think it was the night the night stalker was famously an ACDC fan. That was the big thing with him. So it's 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 really bizarre how these unhinged people latch on to pop culture, taking fandom a little bit to the extreme, I would say. It's always going to be thought of alongside murder, isn't it? I'm sure that's what upset John and Paul about the, about that reaction because now it's kind of tied to its legacy. It is very unfortunate. Maybe that's why in my head there's like a block there. Because like, honestly, quite honestly, when I hear that song, I don't think of that. I just think of it as a Beatles song. You're not the only person to have celebrated this song, The Edge of U2, because they covered it on their Rattle and Hum album. And here's a quote from The Edge, the guitarist. Whenever you play a Beatles tune, you suddenly become aware of how utterly great they were. One day at Soundcheck, during the Joshua Tree tour, we just casually thought, let's see if we can do this. And it sounded great. I don't think, to be honest, we spent a lot of time on the arrangement, but it's just such a great tune. It didn't need a lot of arranging. I think we chose it because we were in a kind of helter-skelter mode ourselves and it spoke to us. It's like a proto-punk song. It's so powerful mm. and yet it maintains such a high level of melody. That's the amazing thing, to be melodic at that kind of intensity. So few of the Beatles songs are rock and roll in that visceral sense, but that one really is. It's McCartney's big rock moment, and I'm sure it was a throwdown because they were so competitive. The song Charles Manson stole from the Beatles for stealing a back. When you get to the bottom, you go back to the top of the slide, and you stop, and you turn, and you go for a ride. Then you get to the bottom, Well, I'm not the biggest U2 fan, but I I thought they they did a fine job. And and tell me about the Rob Zombie. Is that released? It was released as a duet with Marilyn Manson. Obviously, Rob Zombie is kind of uh, he's a part of the horror kind of. He's like a horror rock type artist in the vein of Alice Cooper. So he. Not necessarily in the song, but when it was performed live, he did lean into the Charlie Manson aspect of it, which I can't blame him necessarily. I mean, he's a horror guy, so, but yeah, yeah his version's just okay. I mean, it was fun to hear live, but right. um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. <laughs> I've even heard Paul McCartney play this song live, and I don't think he's able to top himself. Some of the live versions that I've heard from like Paul McCartney's solo shows doesn't have the intensity. And maybe that's because age, he's older now. Maybe it's because he doesn't have the Beatles with him. I don't know, but mm -hmm. it's yeah. it doesn't have the same bite to it as that original version. I think it is a one-off. It's one of those live in the studio moments, isn't it? That seems to have been because of the state of mind they were in. They're obviously off their heads. Who knows what on that? You know, the fact that they set the agenda to make it blistering, they could have gone back to it the next day and it wouldn't have been the same. It's my feeling. Right. I, I totally agree. It's, mm. it, 
it's just like um, a moment in time <laughs> where <laughs> the pl- the planets aligned and this blistering masterpiece came out. I think it's an amazing song and uh, it's an important song. I mean, for my genre taste specifically, I mean, I'm sure this song influenced everything from metal to punk to everything that came after. The band that modeled themselves after the Beatles, I think the most was probably Kiss. Because that's the only other band I can think of where they have songs where four different people sing. Yeah. Because they like they each took a turn singing. And obviously it's well documented they were all Beatles fans and they kind of combined the Beatles with Alice Cooper and David Bowie and you get kiss. Now I'm not, I get, I'm not saying that kiss are anywhere near the musicians that the Beatles were, but I, I do love kiss because I, I love them. And I also love to make fun of them. <laughs> you know, I have very similar, similar. Cause I, as a kid, as a teenager, I say not a kid, but I was a massive kiss fan mm. around the same time. I was a Beatles fan, funnily enough. And yeah, while I can see flaws in their music now, I still love them. But I mm. think you're right, because not only that, what you said, but they're also, and I think this is crucial, I think they did this consciously. The Beatles famously had a brilliant chemistry, didn't they? They had McCartney was the optimistic, poppy, good-looking one. Lennon, the cynic. Harrison, the sort of mystic, quiet one. Ringo, the clown. And I think mm-hmm. it's very rarely you get a band. It has to be four members, I think. It doesn't work with five, where you, where you have a, that chemistry. And I think Kiss took that format and said let's each be a different character you know and and obviously they're ex- extrapolations of their own characters aren't they mm, the cat yeah. the spaceman yeah. the, the the vampire demon. yeah the demon yeah. and i think that was that seems to me to have come from the beatles i i can totally see that i i hadn't thought of that until you said it but it makes perfect sense now <laughs> i mean they were also big marvel comics fans so that was probably part of it too kind of wanting wanting to be these larger than life superheroes yeah, yeah, exactly right. And they ended up in a Marvel comic as well, didn't they? And uh, yeah. Howard the Duck, yeah. I think. You see, yeah. Yes, Super it was Howard the Duck. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's talk about some of the other Beatles songs. Any others that you'd like to highlight as part of this show? Well, the one that's neck and neck with Helter Skelter is another song that I would consider a proto-metal song is I Want You, She's So Heavy. I was very close to picking that over Helter Skelter, but I did not. I just, that song sounds like not just proto-metal, but like proto-Sabbath. That has a very Sabbath-y riff to it. And yeah, yeah, it's it's a great song and it's just the same lyrics repeating over and over. (laughs) But it's great. going back to abbey road kind of just the end medley 
Oh, yes. Like from Golden Slumbers until the end. Love that so much. Mm. Don't Let Me Down. I know uh, our mutual friend Jacob chose that as his favorite Beatles song. And it is such a great song. Tax Man. I love Tax Man. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of blanking, but those are definitely some of my all time favorites. It's been a great pleasure talking to you today. Can you tell us how people can find you and what you do online or on podcasts? We'll just go with my main show, which is Gamma Charge, the strongest podcast there is. Is <laughs> It's a show all about the Incredible Hulk, but also She-Hulk. Find us on Twitter. I think we're GC Hulk Podcast on there. We're on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, we... we uh, we basically just talk all about the big green people. It's a great podcast. Thank you. And yeah, if people start there, I'm sure they'll find other places they can uh, hear your work. For for sure. We we tend to reference our other shows on that show. So it's, it's a great uh, mm-hmm. starting point. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for sharing your appreciation of the Beatles and particularly this song, Helter Skelter, with me today. It was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Thanks for listening to my favourite Beatles song. If you like the podcast, please leave a review or rating as this helps us to reach new listeners. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at My Favourite Beatles Song and Twitter at at My Fave Beatles. See you next time. Mm